So we're uh, looking today at uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. That text is in the bulletin, and it's also up on uh, the screens behind me. And um, if you know anything about the gospel of Luke at all, you know that uh, chapter 15 is uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Um, And, you know, the joy that uh, when that which is lost is found again. Um, We we use uh, this chapter in our Inquirers Weekend uh, at the very beginning. And the reason why we do it is because uh, we want people to understand something about the nature of God that God is a seeker after us. You know, we many, many times we think we're seeking God, but the truth is we're not. Uh, God must seek us because we're lost and clueless, just as a sheep is lost and clueless and a coin uh, that's uh, uh, lost under uh, a piece of furniture in the house can't get found. Although it did occur to me when reading about this, you know, that um, um, if Maybe one of the ways I could motivate myself to clean my house is have somebody hide money in it. And uh, me, me, uh, I was looking under my sofa last night, and uh, yeah, it needs to be cleaned. And so, um, but the fact is, uh, one of the things about this this text, we're, we're not going to spend an awful lot of time this morning on the lost sheep or the lost coin. We're actually going to spend the majority of our time this morning on the first two verses. Uh, of this text, because I think uh, there uh, that will help us kind of uh, get a grip on the heart of God, right? And so uh, in light of that, let me pray, and then I'll read the text. Lord, uh, we thank you today that uh, you are a seeker after that which is lost, uh, that you are a redeemer of those who need to be redeemed, uh, that you come all the way to us, Uh, And unless you uh, do that and uh, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to you, we would never see you or know you or love you if left to our own devices. And so I pray today for the people who are here today who uh, are lost. Um, And Lord, uh, they might not even know they're lost. Uh, That you would draw near to them by your spirit that you would open their eyes, their ears, and their hearts, uh, that you would raise the dead, uh, and that you would do this uh, because it is your heart and your plan to do so. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. uh, The text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God 
over one sinner who repents. So whenever we uh, uh, use this uh, text uh, in uh, our Inquirers Weekend, uh, one of the things that we ask is, what do you learn about God in this passage? And, uh, you know, that God's a seeker, that he's a redeemer, that he goes after that which is lost. That's true. But one of the things we almost never think about God about is, is that God loves to throw a party. He's a partier. He likes a banquet, right? Uh, uh, the fact, the fact of the matter is that in, uh, all of these texts, all of these, these three parables, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, they end in joy. They end in celebration. They end in a party. Now, uh, why is that? Well, first, certainly the, the father will, uh, of the prodigal son is going to have a lot of joy over receiving his son back. The, uh, the woman is going to be joyful that she's got her coin that she had lost and, and the shepherd will be glad that he's retrieved his sheep. But there's joy in heaven for something deeper. Not just that the Lord knows you and that he loves you. That's certainly true. But the joy that God has and the joy that heaven has over sinners who repent is something even more profound than that. Because what you see in that is the heart and the plan of God. We say that God loves us. We say that Jesus is for us. And those things are certainly true. They, they, they matter. But God does something to make that love real in our lives. Jesus Christ enters into our world. He comes all the way to us. He comes and, and in love and grace and mercy opens our hearts, open our eyes, opens our ears to the reality of his love for us. He comes all the way to us to show us our need of him. And so the joy in heaven is that God has a plan to redeem. God has a plan to draw the lost to himself. God sees the world. He sees human beings in brokenness and lostness and sin and rebellion. And he extends himself in flesh and blood in Jesus Christ to save that which was lost. So that when what is lost is saved, the joy is a plan worked. (laughs) That the heart of God worked. That what he wanted to do in coming to us actually is coming to fruition. You know, think about that. Do you, I, uh, Scott, you can put my notes up there. One of the things that I've realized about myself is that as I get older, some of the, my happiest times are when something that I planned for actually works. Because so little of what I planned for ever works that when it happens, it's stunning. It's like a miracle. So we have, we, we had, we, our backyards never had grass in it, ever. Probably in the history of the world. Uh, it's never had any grass in it. And so we took our deck down and now we're, we, uh, you know, I'm trying to get grass to grow in my backyard. So my plan was, you know, over Labor Day weekend, uh, I would take those days and I would prepare the backyard and I'd sow grass seed. And you know why? Because we were going to get two inches of rain from a hurricane later in the week. So I wouldn't have to water. It's a great plan. Guess what? You know how much it rained at my house? Not a bit. So I'm out there watering my grass. I don't have a sprinkler system. I have a hose and a hand. That's all I have. So I'm out there watering this, trying to get the grass to grow. And lo and behold, I see these little green shoots coming up out of the ground. It is so exciting. It is, 
it's wonderful because and, and the joy that I see over there's actually some grass coming up here is going to see me through for the next six months. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm so I'm so glad that, you know, even though we're on like plan C, at least plan C is beginning to work and I'm starting to get some grass there. Well, the fact is God isn't just saying he loves us, but God loves in action. God comes all the way to us, and, and when, when people repent, when they see that, when they understand that, when the love of God comes to us first, and it, and it, and it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, then suddenly there's joy in heaven because the heart and work of God is coming to fruition in time and in space right here, right where we are, right? And so to help us understand that, Jesus tells these parables. But the interesting thing about the parables is these parables are told by Jesus in response to criticism, in response to grumbling. Because what does the text say? Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Tax collectors were people who uh, uh, got positions in the Roman government to tax their own people, to collect their taxes. And sinners were any kind of class of people that you and I would find um, unacceptable. And don't tell me, oh, I, I welcome everybody. All of you have people in your mind that's unacceptable. Right? And, and, and they're so unacceptable, you also know that God finds them unacceptable too, because of course he's on your side and, right? So, um, so those are, those are the kind of people that are gathering around with Jesus. And so what we read is, is that the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, I want you to understand something about Jesus. One of the things that we kind of get about the gospel sometimes is it seems like Jesus is always with the bad people. Right. And we read this and we think sinners. Well, we think, well, everybody's a sinner. What's the big deal? Well, the, the fact the fact of the matter is uh, Jesus eats with everybody. Even nice people like you. Even religious people like you. Even religiously astute people like you. And you, we have to get a handle on this because, because I think Luke is telling us something in the context of this, right? So if you go back to chapter 14, verse 1, it says, One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now, you should laugh at that. Because what did the Pharisees say? This man receives sinners and eats with them. Who's he eating with at the beginning of chapter 14? Them. Right? If he only eats with sinners and tax collectors, what's he doing eating with the Pharisees? Right? So listen, you know, sometimes we think Jesus only uh, eats with the poor. That God has a preference for the poor or that God has a preference for the broken. Well, yeah, he does. He has a preference for the poor and the broken because guess what? That's everybody. <laughs> That's all of us, right? So, so it, it's not just you know. And, and and one of the things that's interesting about that is, I mean, in many ways, eating with the poor and the sick and the broken and the the morally uh, reprehensible uh, is, uh, it, it, as we'll see, uh, is a less awkward dinner than a dinner with the people like us, right? 
So one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now, isn't that something, right? So, so you know, what a warm reception. You come to my house, I'm going to watch you. I'm going to see how you eat. I'm going to see what you say. I'm going to listen to you, right? So they're watching him. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, dropsy is a, was a, is a, is a disease where uh, you swell. And you swell in such a way that it's disfiguring. Right. So we don't know if this man just showed up. We don't know if he was begging, if he was uh, seeking some kind of uh, uh, alms, some kind of gifts, some kind of uh, 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 money. But there he is. Right. Uh, And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Now, why did they remain silent? Now, this is awkward. You know, usually when you ask somebody a question at dinner, you expect an answer. When your guest says, hey, I got a question for you, and you just silence. So this is, this is a fun dinner, you know. Uh, <laughs> they're going to be excited to have Jesus over again, right? Because <laughs> it's, you know, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. So this is, you know, even even more unusual, right? And so he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Why couldn't they reply? Right? Why? Think about this for a second. Now, really, think about this. A man comes into your home with a debilitating, disfiguring disease. And in this culture, the assumption is he has the disease because he's a bad person. And right before your very eyes, a miracle happens. Now, we know Jesus does miracles all the time, right? So we just think, oh, yeah, Jesus is in the business of doing that. Miracles, by definition, don't happen every day. They happen very rarely, right? And so suddenly, right in front of your eyes, there's a miracle. And, and you're like, you're not worshiping, you're not moved, you're not anything, you're just silent watching what's going on. You're distracted. You, you really, you know, whoa, big deal. So Jesus is not just eating with sinners, and then there's a man with dropsy. He heals this man, and, and the response of the people who are there is dead silence. They're not even arguing with it. They're not even saying what you did here is a violation of the law like they do some places because you violated the Sabbath. Jesus is anticipating that by saying the things that he says, but they are they are unmoved. And that's important. They are unmoved by a display of the power and the grace of God right before them. Why? Why are they unmoved? It's not because they don't see it. And it's not because something dramatic didn't happen here. It's what they're prepared to see. So next, next slide. So Jesus then goes on. He tells them a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them. So Jesus is sitting here and he's noticing as the people come in that what they're thinking about is I want to sit with the cool kids. It's like a middle school cafeteria. Right. It's I want to be with the popular people. I want to be with the people who can uh, that I can rub up against and 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 it'll look like I'm influential because I'm hanging out with influential people or or people that are that are easy, you know, for me to be with. Right. So he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. 
lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit uh, at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Have you ever been to a wedding reception? And you got your little card that says what table you're on. And you look at the other people that are sitting at that table and you're disappointed. Really? You know, that that never happens to you. You're like delighted to sit with everybody, right? There are plenty of, you know, I've actually like, well, I've been tempted. I've never done this before, but I've actually been tempted to move the cards around. (laughs) And I get my... Get myself seated with the people that I like instead of people that I think I don't, they're not cool enough. I don't want to sit with them. I don't, I don't like them. What are we going to talk about? Yeah, right? So Jesus is looking around and he sees that these, these people come in there to eat and they're like sizing up the crowd. Who, who can I sit with? Who can I be with? Who is going to make me look good? Who are the influences? Who are the popular people? Year, years ago, a, a family uh, who had uh, lived in Washington, D.C. and moved in higher circles like they do up there, uh, came here and uh, was recommended to worship at our church. And, and they came here for a while, but they looked around and you know what? We weren't influential enough. Yeah. We're just us, no power brokers. And I'm certainly, you know, not influential at all. I'm, uh, uh, I don't want to be influential because, you know, it's, it's better to be invisible because people don't notice you, right? I mean, the, <laughs> the fact is they wanted to be about around people who were influencers, who were making things happen. And so they looked at us and as a congregation and me as a pastor and they thought, you know, you guys are just average. I'm like, I'm a little above average, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> not, not much, you know, I'll, I'm a B minus. So, uh, so the, so the, so the fact is they're looking around thinking uh, the opinions of other people matter so much to them that they'll do almost anything that they, they, they come into a social setting and look for those people that are going to reflect the best on them in such a way that even they might even go to a place where the host has to say, you know, you stepped up a little too high. There's a social pecking order here, and they're all in this trying to figure out who the important people are. Because, you see, their attention is all on themselves and acquiring honor from others. What matters to them is your opinion. Your opinion. Your opinion. Because we know we talk about each other. And we know that, you know, within our minds, there's uh, the less awkward ones of us. And yeah, right. So the man with the dropsy who comes in there, he's just simply a distraction. He kind of is getting in the way of them getting to their seats, right? And so we want people we deem to be important to take notice of us. And if we do this enough, then we become blind to those 
who we deem less important. And so Jesus just steps right in the middle of this social setting and just blows it up. I mean, it was awkward to begin with. They're watching him. There's these awkward silences. And now Jesus is starting to challenge them. Next, Jesus says this to the guy who invited him. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you return and you be repaid. Now, why did Jesus say that? Because that's who the crowd is. Listen, I'm here to tell you, Jesus says, that what you've done here, this, this, the whole idea of this party is wrong. Because you did this so that you would get invited to their house, right? Because your, your focus is upon what you can get from these people right here, right now. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, that's a pretty profound thing, right? I mean, that what, what Jesus is saying is, listen, what, what you are doing is you are seeking your reward for your little obediences. You are seeking a reward for inviting your friends here because now not only will they, will, uh, uh, y- y- do you get influenced? Do they reflect well on you? But they'll have to repay you. You're putting them on the hook. You're putting them under obligation now to do something for you. And what Jesus says to the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection is what he's saying here is you're actually a hypocrite because you say you believe in the resurrection, but you're not focused upon the reward and the glory of the resurrection. You're focused upon getting glory and reward from these people right here, right now. We do this all the time, don't we? You know, if, we, if I do this, then maybe I can get you to pay me back. We even do it with God, right? We, we, we think, you know, if I, if I do something for God, if, I, if, I, if I'm more generous or I'm more kind or, or whatever, then God's on the hook now to do something for me. But the fact of the matter is, what Jesus is saying is, listen, you know, real grace, real mercy is shown and appreciated by those who are so overwhelmed by it because they're so poor, broken, and needy, it's impossible for them to pay it back. So their focus is so much on this world that they cannot think about the glory that is theirs in loving someone who cannot love you back. When was the last time you loved someone, you served someone, and it was impossible for them to even say thank you. Next slide. So it's getting more and more awkward. Dinner's getting, you know, this is getting weirder and weirder. And then Jesus said, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, yes, yes, you're talking about the resurrection. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Jesus. But he said to them, to him, a man once gave a great banquet and, invite, banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first of them, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Now, There's nothing wrong with buying a field and there's nothing wrong with buying a yoke of oxen, 
but you're stupid to buy a field that you haven't seen or a yoke of oxen that you haven't examined. You know when you invite somebody and they turn you down and they give you a lame reason for it, right? I, I can't come because I got a dentist appointment. I know that I know your dinner's at six o'clock. My dentist works late, right? I mean, it's it's a this is yeah, this is kind of weird, right? And. Another one said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So, you know, when all else fails, throw your spouse under the bus, right? (laughs) So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled, blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. That's the heart of God, that his house would be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. You see what's happening here, right? You see that what Jesus is doing is he is uh, uh, making it very clear why it is that these tax collectors, these outcasts and these sinners are attracted to him because they are so broken and so needy. But wait, the Pharisees and the scribes are just as broken and needy. What's the difference, right? Well, what Jesus is saying here is what he is doing by coming to us, by coming to fair, self-righteous Pharisees like us, and by coming to moral outcasts and poor and unacceptable people, Jesus comes to both. The, 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 the problem is that the Pharisees are so focused upon their status and where they are and who they are and, 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 and the things of this world and the things of this life that Jesus is just a distraction. That yes, it's interesting to have him around, but I don't see my need of him. But if you're lame and you're blind and you're poor and you're broken and you're sick and you're dying and you're hurt and you're grieving, If you're hopeless, if you're helpless, if you come to the end of your talents and your gifts and you're still broken, then when Jesus comes close to you, when Jesus draws near, suddenly what you see in him, in his grace and mercy, in his acceptance of you is what changes your whole orientation. And suddenly now you are you're feel, filled with a sense of the fact that this God sees you, that he loves you and that he's for you. And that the things that repel other people from you, your brokenness, your disease, your your sadness, your grief, your brokenness, your your immorality, those things that that you trip up on and you fall on your even your own rebellion is broken by the reality of the love and the presence of Jesus for you. Listen, what Jesus is doing by eating these meals, by going to these people, is he is painting a picture to us of what of what heaven is like. And what heaven is like is a giant banquet and a giant party. The Father's house is full of self-righteous people who have repented. The house is full of broken people who have repented. The house is full of immoral people who have repented. But why did they repent? Because Jesus came to them. You don't repent 
And then Jesus pays mind to you. Jesus comes all the way to you. Jesus is sitting at the table with these people. He's talking to them. He's being gracious. He's being merciful to them. And that is what reorients them, right? People, people are repenting because they see themselves for who they are. And suddenly repentance becomes the only response in the face of Jesus's action toward us. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Now, what I know about us is that power, the power, the joy of the gospel is often missing from our living, our working, our relationships, our marriages, our parenting, our friendships. Well, we do what we're supposed to do and, and we maintain a, a certain perspective and uh, maintain a certain view to the world and a certain look. But the truth of the matter is for many of us, uh, there's not a lot of joy in our lives. There's a lot of obligation that makes us bitter. There's not a lot of power in our lives to be extended towards those who we know cannot pay us back because, frankly, we're repelled from them. We're repelled by them because I don't want to involve myself with somebody who is so needy that I, it's like getting, you know, it's like a fly on flypaper, right? You see that person, you see their neediness, and you're like, ah, if I get too close to them, I'll get stuck. You know anybody like that? Just think there's probably somebody in the world who thinks about you that way. (laughs) Right? And so what Jesus is doing here is he's just kind of blowing right through our categories. And he says, friend, Pharisee, scribe, prostitute, tax collector, you're all the same. And without me, you're dead. But I come to you and I throw my arms open wide and what I make prepare, what I prepare for you is a banquet forever and ever and ever in the joy of knowing that I love you, that I am for you forever and ever. Now, before we come to the table today, I I just want to say something about this. Um, There's a gospel principle that's true. And for those of you who are hardened and cynical and cold, uh, for those of you who are uh, guilt-ridden and undone, here's the principle. Do you want to change? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you sick and tired of feeling bad about yourself? Are you sick and tired of struggling to get the approval of other people? Are you sick and tired of the joylessness and the powerlessness in your life? Are you sick and tired of falling again and again into besetting sins so much that you can't remember the last time you really repented? Jesus says, 
that he who has been forgiven much loves much. If you think that really you haven't been, you haven't needed the forgiveness of God that much, that you're not that broken and sick and dying sinner. If you think that about yourself, it's no wonder that you're cold and hard. It's no wonder that there's no real power in your life. And it's no wonder that it's hard for you to see and believe that the gospel is really true, that the spirit is alive in you and he's actually doing any work in us. But praise God, Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. He raises the dead and he gives us the gift to see and to taste his goodness. And when that happens, joy becomes mine because the grace of God becomes real and big. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Let's confess our sins together. Almighty and merciful father, we have sinned and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us.